Welcome to the Weekly Benefit Roast, featuring Benefit Indemnity Corporation's President, Roger Bain. Roger has devoted more than 30 years to understanding and developing innovative health benefits plans for large groups and groups as small as five employees. Our moderator is Bob Graham. Take it away, Bob. Welcome to the Benefit Roast. It is April 22nd, 2019. I am Bob Graham, and I'm real excited for today's episode. Uh, Roger and I, we haven't really talked about this, but in the morning on Mondays before we record this, Roger and I have a meeting where we talk about our topics. And this morning, we came up with a series of topics over the next couple of weeks that are just blockbuster. They're just going to I, I can't wait. I, I learn every time, but this is really, I can't wait to, to learn about this one this week. So before we get started, though, I want to give you the way that if you're participating in this live, you can actually contribute to the discussion. You can write a question in the chat box, or you can say that you'd like us to put you on air, and we'll actually put you on air. We're always eager to have people contributing and participating. We've uh, pictured this all along as being a discussion, a dialogue, not a one, uh, not Roger just talking. So please bring us your questions. There's no question too big or too small. Or if you have an observation, we'd love to get those as well. And with that, I want to introduce Roger Bain, who is the president of Benefit Indemnity Corporation, which is a national health benefits provider based in Baltimore, Maryland. Roger is probably the most knowledgeable person I've ever met on these issues, from health benefits to self-funded insurance to everything in between. And uh, I, I, I can't tell you how many times he fascinates me with his depth of knowledge and his amount of research. And I think today I'm going to work real hard to keep him not getting into the deep weeds, but putting him in the shallow ground. So with that, Roger, why don't you tell us what our topic is for today and get us started? Well, we're going to talk about the uh, myths of self-funded over the next couple of weeks, and we're going to try and get one of the biggest ones today. There are, we, last week, we talked about some of the obstacles to self-funding, and number one was a lack of education. And, and following that up, we, after last week, we really realized we need to flesh it out a little bit more. So talking about these myths of self-funded is, is really an important issue. So the number one myth about self-funding is I can't run my business and a health plan too. Now, if I could type, I could get that right. <laughs> that's but how fresh this is, folks. If you were looking at this slide, it says I can't my business and a health plan too. He's forgotten the word run, which I'm sure the people are so harried, Roger, that it's just a matter of they can't they can't get all the words in the sentence either. Well, and I'm sure it, any business owner understands what you're going through. It's actually, we were doing one of those tests that they do on Facebook to see if somebody actually reads that sentence and doesn't even miss the word because the American the the brain is the human brain is just so capable. So anyway. I can't run my business in a health plan too. And this is something that is a very typical objection and a concern, especially in the world of self-funding when so many employers, especially in the small group arena, just don't know what it is, don't understand it. And many of them haven't even heard of it yet. Some of the recent numbers, I just looked at a couple of sources uh, this morning and last week that are showing in the large group arena, just an overwhelming number of employers are self-funded. 
But in the small group arena, can you break still... out what the large group is, Roger? Because I know you know that lingo, but I, I know that's a moving target to a lot of people. When you say large group, what do you mean by large well, group? Let's put it this way. If you're an employer with a thousand employees or more, you are most definitely uh, on the edge of self-funded, either comp- either self-funded or you should be. Between 200 and 1,000, most employers, many employers are self-funded. Under 200, however, you run into a much smaller segment. And, in, and when you get under 100, you're creeping down to in the range of 5 to 8% are self-funded. And so that scenario, less than one out of 10 in those smaller groups is really a function of a lack of knowledge. So the employer in that group size, he doesn't have a full-time HR department. He doesn't have even a full-time bookkeeper sometimes. He's got somebody that's doing a little bit of jack of all trades work. And so they think they can't run their business and a health plan too. And so that's the myth, that's the concern, that's their fear. And that's something that is so important to address. And we address that with education because in a way, their statement is completely valid. They can't run a health plan and their own business at the same time. There is administrative work to do. And when we talk about administrative work, we'll flesh that out a little bit more later, but that's a big thing to actually run a health plan. And then of course, Roger, I'm going to jump in because we've got a statement from Ed that I know you want to hear, which is I've never heard this from my broker. Um, you get this all the time. We've talked about this repeatedly. Can you explain why a broker might not be sharing this information? Um, I have no idea why a broker would not be sharing the information. <laughs> that, that to me would make very little sense. Okay, well, I, I guess if if I'm a broker and I don't understand this fully, because I've certainly talked to brokers that don't understand the benefits of self-funding and how it works as well as other people that do. So that could be one possible reason, right? Well, yeah, I think a lack of understanding in the hand of the broker is a big point. Um, if the broker doesn't understand it, he's going to be less likely to um, to tell you that. So that that very well could be it. Okay. Okay. Great. Sorry, didn't mean to cut you off. Go ahead. You were talking about administrative work. Okay. So administrative work, you know, running a health plan of your own really is uh, a big task if you're looking at it from that perspective. The difference is you really have to know what's going on in that perspective. Um, there is there is just way too much. To talk about in the big picture, you know, if you're running United Healthcare or you're running a Blue Cross organization versus what you do on your own, then that's a whole different ballgame. So we're gonna we're gonna touch on that a little bit more when I come back to it. And and forgive me if I'm jumping a little bit. I just had a, a one person I was helping through a technical difficulty while I was working, so I'll try and get back to business for you. And uh, I think we see a hand up, Bob. Uh, I am, I'm trying to, I was trying to help with that technology problem as well. And I'm, I'm, I'm struggling like you are to do. I think we got one where Alan would like to say something. Alan, are you there? Yeah. No, I. You have a comment for us? No, I don't. Okay. So you just clicked on the button wrong. Sorry, Alan. Hey, Hey, Alan, it's Bob Graham. Great to talk to you after all these years. He's gone. 
All right. Am I there now? Yeah, you're there. Here you are. Sure. I was muted, and I decided to mute myself, not ask the question. Okay. Okay. Well, you had your hand raised, so I figured I'd reach out. Thank you, Alan. Okay, so the administrative work of running a health plan is one of those things. But the second thing is obviously insurance. And this is the very first thing that stuns employers when you tell them you should self-fund your benefits because then you're going to tell them in the next breath that you're going to buy a bunch of insurance. And when I say a bunch of insurance, I mean if you're a small employer, you're buying a lot of insurance because you can't take the risk that a large employer can. You are going to mitigate that risk by buying insurance. And so that is a big component of it. And when you buy insurance, you provide the protection you need for your business so that you can offer benefits to your employees without having um, a $3 million claim from a neonatal intensive care unit actually coming to light for you all of a sudden. So that's really the, the second component of that. Third is the costs. You know, let's look at the costs. What does it really take to run a health plan? There are certainly costs involved, so we all have to know what those are. Now, that being said, let's go back and take a look. An employer doesn't want to run their own health plan. Absolutely not. So what they do is they hire a third-party administrator to handle all of that administrative work. That's going to consist of a lot of elements that are they sound real bullet pointish here, as I put them in bullet points on your slide, but the reality is we gotta think about this a little bit. Billing and enrollment. That means you need to know who's enrolled in the plan on every single day, and you need to bill them appropriately every month. You need to make additions and deletions. You have to collect the premium, and you have to deposit that premium and or fees and administrations in the appropriate accounts. Then you have eligibility. Anytime you have a claim or a question, you need to determine whether a benefit is eligible, whether an employee is eligible, whether it's a covered expense. You have claims, and that includes coordination of benefits, subrogation of claims, review of all claims to determine if there's any fraud. You have a PPO organization that you need to engage to create a network or a list of providers for employees to get the best care or some other alternative method to get the care and the cost in line. You need a pharmaceutical benefit manager that's going to handle all the prescription drug claims. You don't want people having to send every prescription drug claim into a deductible and coinsurance. So you have the drug card logo on your ID card. So you have that. And of course, if you're handling an employer's money, that employer is certainly going to want in every step of the way, know where their money is going. So they're going to need to know precisely how that's going. Uh, so they're going to want that scenario as well. Roger, I've Forgive got a me. comment from Steve who saw this long list you just went through and said very simply, no way, three exclamation marks. Well, I think part, well, part of the confusion, I think, Roger, is you said that you need to hire a third-party administrator, but that's included in the process of a company that would do the self-funded work for you, right? So if they go with benefit indemnity, you're taking care of that. It's one-stop shopping, right? Well, that's correct. What you're doing, when, when you decide to sponsor your own health plan and you're creating a self-funded health plan to do that, then you're going to find a package of services that does this for you. Because you're right, that's the point. This, these elements are why an employer hits up against the wall with this first myth that I'm not about to run a health plan. 
while I run my business. I can't run my own health plan and run my business at the same time. Well, and the answer is really you can because there are highly trained specialists called third-party administrators that do all of these functions for you. And what you'd be amazed is when you look at all of these functions from a third-party administrator all the way out to filing the insurance claims for you and all the odds and ends of customer service and compliance and everything that goes into running a health plan typically is going to cost somewhere around $24 to $25 per employee per month, which in today's world is a very small portion of the healthcare expense. When you look at what typical premiums are in a group health plan now, if you're looking at, at $25 or $30 or even less for administrative work to do that entire operation, you're really in solid shape. So that's a real key point to that. But we and, don't see that number typically, Roger, right? That's not a number that's broken out if I go with one of the big carriers in a traditional insurance situation. They're doing all these things as well, but they're not breaking that out when they tell me what the per month cost is per employee, correct? That's correct. They don't break that out. They don't show you that. And most often, they're not quite as efficient as that to be able to do it at that portion. So some of those large organizations that do the large group self-funded will have numbers that are broken out, but they're not typically going to be that low. So it really and, depends on the scenario. I'm sorry. And this list of administrative work that you went through, this is occurring with any kind of insurance that you would get for health, correct? Well, yeah. All of these tasks, all of the roles that you see here, including the more, more, more piece, are something that has to be done by your insurance carrier today. So if you're going to self-fund your coverage, you're going to hire a third-party administrator to do all of that on your behalf. But, but if point, you're going through a traditional thing, you're getting that, it's just being wrapped into the fees that the blues or someone else would charge you. You just know... They're that's doing a, it, but you're not seeing that, right? Well, that's a really good point, Bob. You're buying these services either way. The question is, when you buy these services for a much higher price and then don't use as much of them, do you want to get your money back? Okay, break that out. Unpack that for me because you just took me. I, I'm I'm trying to be your your listener here, and I'm a little confused right now. So walk us through that thought, that statement again. Okay, in the world of fully insured, you'll pay an insurance carrier a premium, which instead of $25 or $30 a month is probably $400 or $600 a month. And out of that per $600 employee. per employee, yeah, and basically your health insurance rate, whatever your health plan rate is, that's what I'm referring to. Okay. So, so if you're buying health insurance, you know what your monthly rate is, you pay that amount to an insurance company and you get your benefits and nothing else. Okay. So it's real. It's a real simple arrangement, right? You're you're passing on the entire task of the health plan to one entity, an insurance company, and it's their job to try and make a profit out of that. Okay. And if there's any money left over at the end of the year, they get to keep it. Okay. In a self-funded world, you pay these pieces, but one of the biggest pieces is the funding of claims and if you don't spend it you get to keep it and that in the insurance world it doesn't work that way in the self-insurance world or self-funding world it does and so there's a really big difference there so so let me see if i can do, put this into different terms and see if i understand it if i'm self-funding 
I'm paying a monthly fee per employees that probably it sounds like it's a little lower. It's covering all the things that a, a traditional insurance coverage would, would cover. The third party administrator, the benefits, the claims, the pharmaceutical benefit manager, the, the care, all that stuff. But where the difference really lies is at the end of the year, if we budgeted, let's say we budgeted $100,000 for my, for my employees, but we only used $80,000 worth of the benefits for the year. The employees weren't real sick. They weren't as sick as, they as we anticipated. So there's $20,000 left. I, as the owner of that small business, gets that $20,000 back. That's correct. And in some self-funding forms, you're either going to get all of it back or you're never going to have to pay it in the first place because you're going to pay in less along the way and only come up with that if you need it. And, but, but the simplest form, simplest answer is yes, Bob. That money is yours. It, it comes back to you. And so at the end of the year, you're writing me a check if I'm the small business owner for that money or what typically happens to that money? Well, in, in plans that I build, when I build a plan, we write a check and we typically hand deliver it back to the employer. So at the end of the year, we've got to wait a few months for all of the claims to res resolve, right? So right. a claim happens on December 31st, somebody goes in the hospital, we don't get the bill for a while. And then we okay. got to take that bill and we got to review the claim and make sure it's all valid, et cetera. So typically it's either three months or six months or 12 months at the end of that plan year, we're going to settle up all of the claims. And whatever's left in that account, we're going to go out and deliver it to the employer with a check with all the reporting that shows them where their money went, how it was spent, why there's money left over, and congratulations. What percentage of your clients actually get a check back, Roger, at the end of the year? Uh, the, the clients that are in the rating model that we use on our current benefit plan, over half of them get money back. And how and much are a, they getting back? Are they getting? A, are we talking three dollars per employee, or are we talking more than that? Now we're talking over an average of over six hundred and fifty dollars per employee. Per, per employee. Per employee. Wow. Now that means some employers are going to get a check for two hundred and fourteen dollars, and other employers are going to check for twenty-one thousand dollars, and other employers are going to check back for $60,000. So it, it all varies on those those groups that are in that wonderful 51% that are actually receiving a claim surplus. They're going to average over $650, or they have been historically. I can't promise what they are. It's kind of like a mutual fund, right? There's no promise it's a future return. But our experience in this rating model with our underwriting structure is just that. So we're getting great return overall. Employers are thrilled when you go out and deliver refund checks. <laughs> but the beauty of it is when we deliver that refund check, we also have a really healthful discussion with the employer about the reports and the utilization in the group. And sometimes we get even better next year because we're bringing the employer into engaging this thing where he really begins to understand why it's better to self-fund his coverage because he can see his claims, he can see his utilization, and he can see what things he might do to, for his employees to create incentives for them to do even better. Like, I can't tell you how many times we go out to an employer and they get a nice claims surplus coming back to them. They've got a nice check in hand, but we pull up their Teladoc utilization report and nobody's used Teladoc. So we've had employees go to the physician pay $158 for an office visit and a prescription drug for, for cold flu, who knows what it is, typically pretty low-end things. 
they've paid all that money out when they could have had it done for free under the Teladoc program that was already included, and it would have been no claim. And so that employer then embraces that and starts communicating with the employee population about claims. So in a way, I think what we need to do is convert this myth from running your own health plan to sponsoring your own health plan. You're not running your own health plan, but by all means, you want to participate in the sponsorship of that and make sure your employees know exactly what they have, what the advantages are, and how much they're saving as well, because employees want to keep benefits. When employees want to keep benefits, you've got to deliver benefits to them in a cost-effective way, or it fails for everybody. That makes sense. So the next thing you buy is insurance, right? Stop-loss insurance is designed for the employer to purchase to limit their exposure for all of the eligible claims to predetermined levels. So this is not some open-ended scenario where everything in the world could happen. This is limiting the exposure. Anything that's in the document that you give the employees, your insurance certificate or in self-funded world, we call that a summary plan description. When you give that SPD to your employees, it describes exactly what's covered and what's not. And anything that's covered by that book, the employer is limited in their exposure by the stop-loss insurance. So when they buy this stop-loss insurance, that provides the controls that they need so that they have a budgetable expense that they're only going to do this if it comes in looking as good or better than fully insured. So they're only buying it because it's good. There's two types of stop loss insurance, and typically you're going to buy them both. We can dig into that in a self-funded 101 talk another time, but they're kind of obvious. One is a specific law stop loss, and the other is an aggregate stop loss for the whole group. And it lends peace of mind to that employer so that he can, in fact, sponsor his own health plan, not run it, but sponsor it and make sure that he manages that perspective without having to lose sleep at night. Roger, I've got a question from Lisa. She's not clear on what stop loss insurance is. Can you briefly explain that that concept? Yeah, stop loss insurance is a policy that an employer buys in the self-funded world. Instead of going out to a big insurance carrier and saying, I'm going to negotiate a rate for my employees, I'm going to hand over the premium every month, and then you make the promise to pay benefits to my employees, and you guys handle it from there, and I'm out of it. All I'm responsible to do is send in the money every month. Instead of that, in a self-funded world, you make the promise to pay benefits to your employees, and then you hire an insurance company to protect you from the cost of that promise. The reason we do that is because there are so many other advantages. There is less regulation, there is more innovation, there's greater efficiency, and there's that chance to get any of your unused claims funds kept in your own pocket instead of in the insurance company's pocket. So, so the stop the stop loss, just so I understand, that it literally is what it says, right? It says if you hit a certain dollar amount, we're going to start protecting you over that. So you That's, know you know the four walls of what your liability is every year at any given moment, right? That's that that's correct. All of your eligible claims are going to be limited to those predetermined levels. And the specific stop loss says if one person has claims over X number of dollars, boom, they're done. No more is taken from the employer's bank account. The aggregate stop loss says that if everybody gets sick, you stop here and no more money is taken from the employer's bank account. All of that then would be funded by the insurance company after the fact. 
So this means that the peace of mind comes from knowing that you know how much you're going to spend. And if your employees are less healthy than you expected or something comes up along the course of the year, you know how much your worst case scenario is. And you're not saying, oh, my God, this person got cancer. Now I'm out $10 million. Right. That's correct. And if you're working with the appropriate professional insurance broker, that broker is going to deliver to you that maximum worst case scenario as your basis of comparison with the fully insured world. So you're you're never going to be going out on the limb and say, well, wow, if I had gone fully insured, I'd have spent 100000 But in this self-funded plan, I ended up spending 150000 Well, there's no rationale for that except for somebody not doing the planning up front and understanding exactly what they're doing. Okay, wow. That's... <laughs> <laughs> I told you I learn every time. Keep going, Roger. This is great. So the next thing is costs, right? You've got these parts. You've got admin work, you've got insurance, and then you've got costs. So the first thing is the TPA work. All that TPA work is typically the third as party a, administrator. A third party administrator that we oh. talked about earlier. And you're typically having in that twenty to thirty dollar range is going to cover that TPA work. Now on top of that, the TPA is going to subcontract a couple of other fees that you'll see broken down in some carriers' proposals or some plans' proposals and others. They just lump it all together. But there's utilization review, utilization management, and claims management. So these are things that we use to help keep costs in check on a health plan and an insurance plan, whether self-funded or not. These things are used very typically. And that's going to be a few dollars per employee per month for that. And then the PPO that we talked about earlier, the preferred provider organization that we talk about is also going to be there to make sure that we have the appropriate reimbursement levels. And that's going to have an additional cost as well. So that's not included in the 20 to 30 bucks. But by, by the time you're all in, you're typically in the range of $40 and you should have your PPO costs covered. So then we talk about insurance. Now we're talking about that stop loss insurance. And when we talk about stop loss insurance, it, it, that's going to vary widely based on how much insurance you're buying. If you're a really, really large company, that number is going to be much, much smaller. But if you're a small company, that number will be larger. It might be as much as 25% of your total cost, just depending on the plan design and how low your specific is. For example, I mentioned earlier a specific stop loss says if any one employee has medical costs, the employer's exposure is limited to X number of dollars. Well, if that X number of dollars is $5,000, then that that insurance is, is a lot of insurance, right? That's like buying a $5,000 deductible health plan for that person. So in that scenario, you're buying more insurance. Now, 5000 is a number that's really low. We don't typically build those in the self-funded arena. We do on occasion, but that's not the most typical. Usually in a twenty dollars to $25,000 range in the small group arena is pretty typical in most states. So, But the point is, the smaller groups are going to buy more insurance. Larger groups are going to buy less insurance. So it's a piece of the cost, but it's not the bulk of the cost. The bulk of the cost should come in claims funding. The big, single biggest cost in a self-funded plan is the cost of claims, and that's exactly where the employer wants it to be because that's his greatest area that he can affect and actually get money back. If we don't spend it, we get it back. So that's claims funding. 
And then, of course, you have miscellaneous expenses, as you do with any plan, right? You still have to have coverage for, you know, costs for compliance and plan documents and the review, et cetera. Self-funded, slightly different, but same kind of stuff, right? I think you should always review employee benefits liability coverage with your agent, even if you're not self-funded. So that's a cost that everybody should have either way. So it's not really a cost of self-funded. It's just a reasonable cost. Compliance documents, most often they're going to be produced for you in, in a number of forms by the TPA, but there are compliance documents that you buy outside of your health plan, just like the fully insured world, like your Section 125 or a WRAP document. Those are important expenses. Any newer related taxes, if the government comes in and says, hey, we're going to add a new tax to self-funded plans, well, of course, then that's something that you might have to pay. ACA reporting and filing. The third-party administrator will give you all the material you need, but your accountant will have to file a couple of these documents. And so some of this stuff will be done by your accountant and others will be there, but you don't have to go dig up all the data and the reporting. That'll be part of the role of the third-party administrator to say, here's the details you need, cut the check for this amount to this guy and you're done. So it's relatively simple in a whole lot of ways. And yes, running a health plan is outrageously complicated. And that's why this myth, you know, most myths are born in some form of reality, just like stereotypes, right? So this myth is born in a reality as well. And the reality is running a health plan is no simple venture, but running a health plan or sponsoring a health plan and engaging the right people to run it for you throughout the year is a relatively simple venture. There are a lot of really good third-party administrators out there that do a great job at handling all of your customer service, all of your claims, ID cards, the whole gambit, so that your liability throughout the year is limited to the costs associated with these things that we've talked about and your participation in some thoughtful management overall, which means you should probably have a quarterly meeting with your broker instead of once a year, like so many do in the self in the fully insured world. And in self-funded, you should probably meet every quarter, uh, at least twice a year, uh, to review where you are, where you're going, how your claims are looking, and, and how much money you might get back or not, and to review that type of thing and the why. And the why is the most important thing. You want to understand why you don't have results that you'd like to have, because in the world of self-funding, you get the opportunity to fix that. In the world of fully insured, you have no idea where your money has gone or whether you had good results or not. And so there's a big difference there. Roger, Phil's asking the question, I've never offered health benefits to my employees before. I'm intrigued by this, but I'm wondering if I should go with fully insured first. What are your well, thoughts? Well, my thoughts are that nobody should make a decision on their health benefit plan until they do a group risk assessment. So if you're interested in buying benefits, the first thing you do is get everybody enrolled through a group risk assessment process that is going to give you that answer. Why fly blind and go into this thing in the dark? Let's find out what we have in our employee composition from a demographic standpoint, from your industry, from your location, what the competitors' rates are going to be, and whether or not your group really deserves better rates. And you do that by examining the health status and location of your group and all of those things combined the only way to make an intelligent decision on your benefits is to know what you have. And every day in this country, 
We've trained employers to just fly blindly into this mess, trust the big insurance companies that they're getting the best value and the best rate that they can get. And instead, they could be saving tens of thousands of dollars, even in the small group arena. So that's the real challenge is we've got to look at this much more closely. Roger, one of the things we talked about this morning that I, I think you see it every day, but I get to see it sporadically, is how incredibly engaged your employees are in the process of going through all this. So I, I want to make sure you're not, if I listen to this in one regard, it might sound like, oh, I have to have these meetings with you. And then you have this third party administrator and you're sort of at the equation, except you have these quarterly meetings, if I so choose. Can you walk through what that relationship really looks like for the employer who would work with your company? Well, yeah, for the employer, what it means is they work much more closely uh, with their broker than they might in a scenario where they just buy a fully insured plan and say, I'll see you next year. So you work with the broker. We work very, very closely with the brokers so that they can support what they do for the employer. And we typically will start with what I mentioned earlier, that group risk assessment, allowing that broker to help the employer find out what level of risk they have, who and where they really are, and understand where to go from day one. And from that step, we provide the electronic platform for employees to enroll. We provide all kinds of support mechanics. We give a report out to the broker every morning, even to the employer every morning if they like to know how many people have completed the process, what's left to go. Then when we get all that in, we're gonna compile it and give them a complete report, entirely free. Here's your report. This shows you the employee population, your demographics, your health risks, your status, how much you're spending on prescription drugs, the whole gambit. So the employer now knows what makes sense. Should I self-fund my health plan and save thousands and thousands of dollars? Or should I just go back to fully insured or go back to the fully insured carrier and stay there because I'm high risk? Or do I want to roll the dice and fly into this thing blind and never do any of that work? So, you know, to me, it just makes logical sense to go through a process that might take 15 hours of the employer's time to go through this to get the time with their broker, to study it, and then make the benefit decision that is much stronger over the long haul. And that's, and you, uh, I'm sorry, go ahead. That's kind of really the point. You know, many employers will spend 15 hours with a broker just comparing 72 different fully insured benefit options without ever looking at the self-funded. When if you spend eight hours of that, on a group risk assessment, you'll be able to narrow the field of all of those others, spend another seven hours on a really bona fide strategy to help you save money. Wow. Uh, Roger, I, I've got no more questions. And I got to tell you, I am floored at how much information you can cover in less than 45 minutes. Um, you know, a couple of takeaways I get from this is that for the employer, it just makes sense to explore this. And I think you've proven real clearly that it's a myth that you can't be the person to run your own health plan. And really, that whole idea isn't really true. As you said, it's not running it as much as sponsoring it, which means you're providing the oversight and the money that allows others to do that work for you. The second takeaway I got from this was 
the broker is really the conduit for all these opportunities. You know, talking to your broker, and I guess, what if a broker isn't as well versed in this as they might be? How does that work? Well, uh, our job here is to either make sure your broker is well versed, and we can do that with training and education, which my firm does a ton of. But if your broker's just really not in the game, we'll be happy to help you find another one. We've got a okay. lot of really good brokers that we work with and, and they know their stuff. And so if, if in fact the client would, that would come to me directly, not from another broker, of course, but if they come directly to me and they say, I need a new broker because I'm just not happy that my guy's getting us there, then we'd refer them to one of our friends. Okay. And you've got, you've got them all over the country, correct? Yes, we do. Great. Roger, anything else you want to say? I, Absolutely. I know, I, I know not everybody is staring at their screen right now, but I'd like everybody to click real quick and take a look at the slide we're on because we promised everybody a, a $5 coupon for a cup of coffee for our next meeting. We'd like you to keep coming back. And if it takes a cup of coffee to keep you awake, that's what I want. <laughs> so make sure you go to benefitindemnity.co slash forward slash benefit roast um, attendee form. Click on that link. Give us the information so we know where to send your five dollars. Let, uh, let me we'll say that again to people because you. you went through that really quick. This is the benefit roast, and we we started this. Roger told me about something years ago they used to do where he got together around cups of coffee. This was before the internet, I believe. Correct, Roger? Uh, yeah, actually, it probably was. Okay, and they would get together around coffee and talk about what was going on and about these types of things. So. We brought that to life in uh, 2019 using technology. So if you want to get your cup of coffee, you can go to www.benefitindemnity.co slash benefit roast attendee form. And there you'll fill out a really brief form and we will send you a $5 coupon. So next time you can grab a cup of coffee and have that cup of coffee with us while you go, uh, while you listen to what we're talking about and while you share with us. And Roger, you're drinking coffee right now, right? <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll pretty much always, Bob. Okay. I was going to say, I grabbed a cup right before we started. So, and Roger's got this great benefit roast uh, coffee that he, he just, he's obsessed with. So, um, I think that's probably all for today, Roger. I really appreciate all the insights. I appreciate you answering some of the uh, the more simple questions that I had and that some of our uh, participants had, because I think it's still a complicated thing. And I think what you said about this being a myth because people don't have information really becomes clear when you start to break this down in more detail. So I appreciate your time and effort. We will be back next Monday with another interesting episode. We'll be talking about, um, I can't afford the exposure, correct, Roger? Isn't that our yes. topic for next week? Yeah, and I think that's where we'll dig a little bit more deeply into the, the mechanics of the stop-loss coverage so that people can fully understand that. Yep. Okay, great. I look forward to that. I know you do, Roger. Until then, folks. Oh, Roger, if someone wants to ask you a specific question or get in touch with you, why don't you give them your email and phone number before we go? Sure. It's Roger, R-O-D-G-E-R dot Bain, B-A-Y-N-E, at benefitindemnity.co, or my direct line, which is even easier, just dial 443-275-7412. Be happy to hear from you anytime. And I will tell you, Roger does answer his own phone, and he also answers his own emails 
relentlessly quickly. So if you've got a question or you want to talk to him about your situation or whatever, he's happy to talk and refer you to a broker or help educate your broker. So Roger, with that, let's call it uh, at the end of the day and we'll come back at you next week. Sound good? Thanks everyone. Much appreciated. I look forward to seeing you next time. Bye-bye. Thank you. You've been listening to The Benefit Roast, a weekly discussion sponsored by Benefit Indemnity Corporation. Employers in a wide range of fields are using employer-owned health benefits plans to deliver better benefits to their employees at a lower cost. Learn more at BenefitIndemnity.co. That's BenefitIndemnity.co. See you again next week.